Nice. I know. I know where that is, yeah. I know where that is. Well, um, this morning we're going to continue um, our series on I Am a Church Member and actually what all that means and, 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 um, you know, why we gather, why, why, why we come together. And, and this morning, I think what we're going to talk about is the biggest key for any church and everything. But last week, um, if you remember, um, we talked about I'll be a functioning church member, which basically means we, we don't just show up. That there's a reason that we come together, that God has given us gifts, God has given us talents, God has given us abilities, and he ties all that stuff together. It, it, <coughs> excuse me, in a in a body and in a community, um, for his purpose and for his glory. Um, I, I was having a discussion with someone this week, just the idea that we have become the objects and the workers of God's worship. That that is our main goal. That at one time, Lucifer, before he fell, that was his job, and we have replaced him. No wonder he hates us so much. That by us, not only singing songs and showing church, but by living out our faith in community and furthering God's kingdom, that is worship. And, and that's what means when we come together and we function. And so many of us in so many churches have just decided that, no, it's just a place I show up and I check off a list and, and that's all it is. But we, we found out last week, no, there, there's a job for us, each of us to do and everything. This week, I want to talk about the idea of I will be a unifying church member. And I think unity is the strongest, biggest, most important thing that a church can have. Because uh, I think without it, you, you can't function. It makes absolutely no sense for all of us to come together and all of us have different jobs, but we're not all going the same direction. I mean, if you've ever been canoeing or in, in kind of a rowboat with someone that's rowing opposite of you, you don't really get that far at all. You end up going in a circle. You end up going nowhere at all. And so the idea is that the church comes together, and we all have to be kind of rowing and doing our job, but we all need to be going in the same direction. And that's unity. In fact, it was important to Christ. Jesus prayed for it and stuff. And I love that in John, that Jesus actually prayed for you and me. In John 17, it says, I pray not only for these for my disciples and my followers right now, but also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am you. May they also be one in us so that so the world may believe you sent me. The greatest picture of evangelism, the greatest picture of the gospel and the power and the love of Christ is the unity of believers. This is the strategy that Jesus left us to reach the world. And when the world sees a church, no matter how big or how small, when they are unified and they are together, they see Jesus. And that's why this is so, so important. It is the biggest deal, and I think it's the number one place that the enemy attacks in our churches today. And so it's so important that it's stuff that we need to do and an attitude we need to have in that. And so this is what we're going to kind of dive into this morning. This is what we're going to talk that My responsibility as a member of a church, as a believer in the body, is that I need to be a person that brings help to bring unity. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity um, to come together. God, would you just bind our hearts together? Would you give us clear vision 
clear direction. God, that we'll be all moving in the same path and in the same direction. Father, what you have to say is so much more important than what I have to say. God, I, I pray for those that aren't here this morning. God, I pray that um, you would be speaking their hearts and blessing their hearts, God, and that together we would come together. God, and through our unity and through our love, that the world would see you. God, that four corners would see you and find hope. And so, God, speak to us now. Give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to your word. Let it be your words and not mine. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the idea of unity, that thing called unity. Uh, you know, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty simple to think of unity. It's like all one, all coming together, all going the same direction, doing the same thing, all coming. You know, it's, you know, the best picture I can give is kind of a football team. You know, and I like sports. I like athletics. Everybody on that football team or on a sports team, they have a job to do. And they all have to be doing their job, but they all need to be doing it at the same time. Because if not, you get like the Tampa Bay Bucks, who just keep losing and losing, or you, you get in trouble and stuff. You know, I, I remember one time playing football in high school. I was on the offensive line, and we were doing a sweep, which means that everybody goes this way. I got confused. <laughs> and everybody went that way. And I went that way. The opposite direction. And the guy that made the tackle was the guy I was supposed to block. But it's because we weren't unified. And so we have to have this idea that it makes sense that we come together and we're all moving in the same direction. And we work together in that. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is Paul's prayer. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. He's like, listen, you have to keep the unity. You have to do it. And he kind of gives us a formula for this. He kind of gives us this idea of like, this is how this will work together, that we can actually find unity. Because on our own, we're not, we're all going to have our self-interest. On our own, we're all going to have our own agendas, and we're all going to be doing our own thing. But Paul gives us this little picture and this little kind of formula. It says, first, be completely humble. Don't think of yourself more than you ought to. We live in a society that feels like everything is owed to them. If you've walked through a high school or if you've walked through a college campus or anywhere, it just you watch on the news, this is owed to me and this is owed to me, this is owed to me because it's about me. Humility says it's not about me, but it's about you and it's about someone else. And so the very first thing, we have to come to the idea that at the base of the cross, we're all sinners. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we're all on that same level playing field. No, no one's higher than the other. Just, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm any better than anybody else. And so we, we, we go with humility and, and then gentleness. A gentle word can stop a war. An angry word can cause all kinds of havoc. 
Could you imagine if we look at each other and we see the needs and we see the heart of someone else and we approach it that way with gentleness? You know, I, I think of, of a baby. I, I remember when my first daughter was born and they're like, would you like to hold her? And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And, and you're so afraid that you're going to hurt. And so you're so careful. That's what gentleness is. If we actually care about what's going to happen to someone else. Come on in, Jimmy. Hey, buddy. I'm glad you made it. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. But gentleness. And then there's patience. Listen, I am going to get on your nerves. And I need you to be patient with me. But I have a secret for you. You are going to get on my nerves. And there has to be a patience because there are some things that that I can see as the pastor and say, like, man, this is where we need to go. And this is but we're going to have to get there piece by piece by piece. Patience is probably the hardest thing for me. You know, I'm this old army sergeant that says task condition standard. Boom. Success. You know, and so we've been meeting two months, so we should have like 60 people and we should have this and we should have that and stuff. And that's not necessarily what's going to happen. We all are at different places in our lives. We all have different things happening in our lives that we don't know. I, I don't I don't share with you every struggle that we go through. And, and you don't share with me every struggle. And so we need to walk in patience and then finally love. Love is the key to all of this. If we truly, truly love one another, if we're truly being humble and putting the other one first, if we're truly seeking gentleness and patience and it's all wrapped up in love, then unity will happen. And when unity happens, the world sees that Christ came. You know, I I always get... It's confusing to me when I talk to people of other faiths and other religions and stuff. And like, well, there's all this faith and stuff. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Middle East. And I know the news would put on it like the Muslim world is all unified again. They hate each other. The Iraqis hate the Syrians and the Iranians and the Iranians hate these and the Saudi Arabians. And none of them, they all have all these different schisms. And if you even look in our church, we have schisms. We have different worship styles. We have different, we have a little bit different doctrines. We have different things and all this stuff. But if we come together in love, we come with the idea that there's something greater than us. The world's going to see Jesus. And isn't that the purpose of the church in the first place? So, let, let, let's look at this. It, it takes effort. It's, it's not easy to stay unified. It, it's, it's not, it, it takes work to do this. It takes, you know, like I said, we're going to get on each other's nerves and we're going to disagree on things. And we're gonna, So it takes effort. It takes a conscience. And, and Paul says that. He said, make every effort. To keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And the only way that we find unity, the only way that we come together is through that bond of peace. That's Jesus. That's the one thing that ties us all together. No matter where you're from, what background you have, rich, poor, Alabama, Florida, New York, it, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus is the one thing that comes over all of that. 
And it's through that bond of peace that we can work together that through Christ. Isn't that what Paul says in Philippians? I can do all things through Christ. And so the church can be unified, but it can only be unified if we all agree on the one thing of who Jesus is. If, if you have Jehovah Witnesses, if you have Mormons, if you have people coming to your house and saying, we believe this, we believe this, there's one simple question that makes our faith different from every other faith. Who is Jesus to you? That is the one thing that ties us all together. Jesus Christ is the only person ever to stand on this planet to say, I am God, and then back it up. I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father. Friday, I had two funerals I had to go to. Ended up officiating both of them. It was a long day. And there was two differences. There was one with a family, kind of with faith. Grandma had faith. And we talked about that. And there was one where there was no doubt there was faith. Jesus was the unifying thing, the one thing that gives us hope. Because every other belief system, every other thing that is out there is based on will you be good enough. Our faith is based on the fact that Jesus was good enough, is still good enough, and he finished. And that's what unifies us. We, we can disagree on music. We can disagree on everything else. We cannot disagree on Jesus. <clears throat> and that's the key. So, so how do we do this? The very first thing is you, you'll be known by your love for one another. It will be evident on, on how we love each other. In fact, Jesus made it a command. In John 13, verse 34, he says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The evidence of Christ in our midst, the evidence of Christ in our church is how we love each other. The evidence of Christ in your life is how you love other people. And I love, he says, love one another as I have loved you. When Jesus hung on that cross, you and I were the things on his heart. Yeah, you know, I, I used to used to hear it say that if Jesus had a refrigerator, it would be our pictures all over it. That everything he did, everything God did from creation on was the fact of restoring us into a relationship out of love. If you want to know why the Bible exists, why why Jesus did what he did, it's very, very simple. It's very theological, it's very, very deep. It's John three sixteen, for God so loved us. That is the motivation for everything. And because of that, we can love each other. And it's not just like, love you, man. Love you. Love you. Hug, hug. I mean, love is action. Love is how we treat, how we respond, and how we look at one another. And you'll be known by our love. This church will be known, but there's a secret here. We, people also know us if we lack love. All you got to do is put on the news when they put one of those crazy churches on and they're spewing just hateful, horrible things. And you see what the, the world has to view of the church. 
The view should always be love. And it starts with us loving each other. And from there, it goes with us loving this community and the people around us. And so we'll be known, we have to know, by our love. But if love is the key to unity, gossip and negative talk is the enemy of unity. It is the most destructive force on this planet, is our tongue. Us talking about things that don't involve us. Us us talking about people in situations that don't involve us. You know, we have called that prayer request. The Bible calls it gossip. And, and I believe of all the things that God hates in his church, he hates gossip. Of, of all the people on this planet, who should be the most positive? Us. Followers of Christ. We, we have the hope that endures forever. We have the promises of God. And so why is it that so many of us are so negative? And, and the truth is, a lot of time that gets into us because of what we watch, what we get feed on. I mean, you can get on Facebook and in 10 minutes filled, be filled with so much negativity. It, it is all around us all the time. And negative talk, complaining, gossip is the enemy of unity. It will destroy unity in a church. And if a church isn't unified, the church is not the church anymore. The church is not doing its job. And at its heart, it's a righteousness issue. Paul is pretty straightforward in this, in the book of Romans. Romans 1, starting verse 29, he says, he's talking about the world and everything. He says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. That's a pretty harsh statement. They, they are gossips. God-haters. Listen, I, I, believe, I, I believe very simply that there's only two types of people in the church today. There are people that bring unity through their words and actions, and there are people that cause disunity through their words and actions. And the world desperately wants to see, is there a difference with Jesus? You know, it's not, Jesus even said, it's, it's not about what you take in that makes you unclean, but it's what comes out. And the best way to see a person's heart is to hear and see what comes out of their mouth. The tongue, the tongue is, is the most powerful muscle in the body. It is a danger and we have to guard it. James, in James 3, he says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Our, our tongue can be used to either just lift someone up or totally destroy someone. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever noticed walking into an office or walking down the street and a nice word? a positive word, a loving word, what that does to the other person. 
And the same thing, you can see what a negative word does. And so it is, it is an issue of death, but it's also an issue of life. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 3.10. He says, Forever would love life and see good days, must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Your words bring life or death. Either or. You know, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is the greatest lie that Satan ever came up with. And in in the church, we have got to be people that speak a positive tongue. We have got to be people that don't gossip. Now, in this, there are times when we need to speak truth. There are times when we have to call each other out. But it should always be seasoned with love. It should always be for the building up of the body, not the tearing down of the person. And unfortunately, we get that backwards. And so we have to be careful of this because this will destroy unity. If you're a unifying person, you're not a gossiping person. If you're a person led by love, you're not a person led by negative talk. It will be very, very, very evident. Finally, in this, forgiveness. It's a key to unity because the truth is, every one of us is going to be let down by somebody. Every one of us is going to be hurt. Some on purpose, some not on purpose. I'm I'm going to do things that's going to upset you and hurt your feelings. You're going to do things that are going to hurt my feelings. And the idea is that we have to forgive. And what I love about forgiveness is it's not necessarily for the person that's done wrong to you. But it is for you. It's been proven scientifically that forgiveness brings healing to the person that forgives. If you have a problem with forgiveness, I, I just I challenge you to think about what you've been forgiven by God. Because that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Verse 14 says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. I don't think I don't think this is one of those things where God is like, well, if and because God is forgiven. When we come to God, I believe when we come to God and we ask for forgiveness, God is faithful to forgive us our sins. We've we've read that in, in first John. He is faithful. If we confess, he is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the idea is that if we we can't forgive, I think inside of us it's an impossibility for us to receive forgiveness. My father, I, I, I grew up, and my father left our home when I was about two years old. I didn't know. I was too young to understand. I remember one day asking my mom, why are there no baby pictures of me and my dad? And she's like, I thought you knew. And at 13, I found out my real father was abusive, had a mental breakdown, and left. And I I went through all the stages. I was angry because I was the youngest, so maybe it was my fault. Or why why did he leave? Do this. You know, why am I that kid? And this is, you know, this is the 70s and 80s where divorce still wasn't that. It was still kind of like, ooh, a divorce family. You know, when my mom went through it in the early 70s and in a little small Baptist church, it was like, you're a horrible person. And so there was a lot of animosity built. And I didn't think much of it because my dad that raised me 
was an awesome dad. He was hard. He was a hillbilly. He was very strict. But I never doubted that he loved me. And he adopted me and put my, his name on me. And, and I grew up knowing that. But there was always in me this little root that said, mm, why? And you don't think much about that. And then I got married and I had kids. And my wife would ask me, you know, you should probably find out about your real dad. And at first I was like, no, it's not important. Years down the road, it became a fight. It became anger. It became bitterness. It became like, we're not talking about this. He left. He has no right in my life whatsoever. And it started affecting my relationship with my kids. It started affecting my relationship with my wife, everything around me. And that little tiny root of just saying, I'm not going to forgive, grew and grew and grew and grew. Until one day I was faced with this verse. And in Germany, with no idea what was going on, I just get, I got locked out of my house. Because if you've ever been to Germany, they don't have doorknobs on the outside. If you close the door, the door locks. So we had to train our cat how to open the handle. And so scratching the door to get back in. Now I'm stuck at home. I'm outside. I'm like, oh, all this stuff. And we had just had a discussion about my dad. And this verse came to mind. And right then and there, I just said, God, I don't know if I'll ever see him again. And I don't know if I'll ever know him again. But I got to let this go because it's going to destroy my marriage. It's going to destroy everything. And so I, I forgive. And it doesn't mean that it happened right away. That There were still moments I had to like, okay, God, help me. I forgive whatever happened. I don't even know what happened. I don't want to know what happened. And in that, God redeemed that. In that, I started understanding patience and grace with my family. And in that, we moved back from Germany. My mom calls me and says, um, I wasn't sure to call you, but your dad called. He's been sick, and he's trying to reconnect. And so we leave it up to you. Um, he had worked in the mines, and a train had exploded with deadly gas and basically burned his lungs. He went from a redhead. If you wonder where my daughter got her red hair... Um, that was my dad's nickname, Red. And he went white-haired. And they told him, he's got like maybe a year to live. God gave me 10 years with my dad. God gave me the ability to go to him face-to-face -face and say, I, I forgive. I don't care what happened. I just forgive. And to restore a relationship. And it changed everything. And for the first time in my life, I understood what it meant for God to forgive me. Church, if we can't forgive one another, and we're going we're gonna to hurt each other, if we can't forgive one another, if we can't let go of that, and can't remember all that Christ forgave us of, we, we will never be a church. Because the day is coming when we're going to do stuff and it's going gonna, it's gonna to upset somebody. And you're going to do stuff and it's going to upset me. But I know what I've been forgiving. I know how much my forgiveness cost God. And so we have to, we have to be able to forgive. Unity in the church is through Christ, through us. 
Think about that for a minute. Unity in a church, unity of the believers, is only be through Christ. But it's it's lived out through us. Colossians 3, 12, 14 says, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. We have to make a decision here at the beginning of all of this. Will we be a church and a people that love each other and will fight for the unity? The Puritans had a great kind of slogan that was in all the Puritan churches. It basically said, on the majors, we, we will stand in unity. On the minors, we will agree to disagree. As a church, on the majors of who Jesus is, why Jesus came, how we are saved, who God is, how we are to be together and live out our lives, we have to be unified. On the minors, like, how many songs did we sing? How do we do communion? How do we take up off? How do we, all those minor things, we can agree to disagree. But it is Jesus that unifies us, and that is the most important thing. My Bible tells me that if the Son of Man is lifted up, God will draw men to him. And so if we're not lifting up Jesus, then we're wasting our time anyway. But that banner gets heavy, and that's why the unity of church is important. There's a great picture in the Old Testament where a battle was happening, and Moses was standing up on a mountain watching the battle. And he held up his staff, and he said, as long as his arm was held up, the Israelites would win. As soon as his arm started getting tired and his arm started dropping, the Israelites started losing. And you see this picture of unity of Aaron and coming up there and holding up Moses and holding up his arms. And in the end, the Israelites won the battle. What a perfect picture of what the church is and when we're unified. Because if we are together holding each other up in unity and in love and in gentleness and in humility and all those things, we can't lose. A.T. Pearson, a great Presbyterian preacher from the turn of the century, said this, A true child of God, the invisible bond that unites all believers to Christ is far more tender and lasting and precious. And as we come to recognize and realize that we are all dwelling in one sphere of life in Him, we learn to look on every believer as our brother or sister. In a sense that is infinitely higher than all human relationships. This is the one and only way to bring disciples permanently together. All other plans for promoting the unity of the church have failed. In the end, it's about our hearts. It's about how we love each other. It's how we hold each other up. And that will keep us bound together. And when we are bound together like that, and the whole world, all of four corners, will see Jesus. 
And I was reminded this week, that's why we moved here. That's why we meet in this house every Sunday. That's why I pray and I sit at Starbucks for three hours on Wednesday and work on sermons. And I go down and try to find ways for us to get in the community. Because this community needs to see Jesus. And the best place for him to see it is through the church. And so our commitment is I am a church member. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors, staff, or other church members. But neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. That's what being a church member is. It will take work. It will take patience. It will take forgiveness. It will take kind words. But in the end, the gospel is worth it. Because that's what this community needs. That's the kind of church we will be at Grace Baptist. Let me pray for us.